We are celebrating Black Maternal Health Week. Black Maternal Health Week is a week of awareness, activism, and community building founded and led by Black Mamas Matter Alliance. Each year, the week of April 11th through 17th is full of events centering Black Mamas. This year's theme is Building for Liberation, centering Black Mamas, Black families, and Black systems of care. We will be hosting a live birth share with our own Laurel Gourier as she recounts her latest home birth with our community. We hope you can join us on your lunch break. There will be space for you to ask Laurel about her pregnancy, labor, and postpartum experiences. We'll cover everything from birthing in a new state, choosing a birth team, and how she navigated her birth preferences. Add us to your calendar for April 13th, 2022 at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. See you at lunch. Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Vienna Fernandez sharing her three birth stories, all different in their own way. Sharing her experiences, Vienna hopes it shines a light that learning from your births is possible and trusting your body and advocating for yourself is important. Hello, Vienna. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Okay, so my name is Vienna Fernandez, as you mentioned. <laughs> I am a um I'm a self-care coach for moms and I am married and we have a total of three children that live here in the home with us. I also have um a stepdaughter who comes and she visits with us. Um, anywhere between once to maybe three times a month. And our family dynamic now has definitely shifted from when we first had my first, my son, Bryson. Right now, I'm currently a stay-at-home mom um, on leave from work. And I'm really just trying to figure out what this stay-at-home mom life is kind of going to be like for me because it's hard like it's just it's crazy um but if I'm being honest I don't think that I would change it for anything like as much time as I'm like uh okay like especially the two little ones that it's just it's crazy but um I don't think that I would change it for for the world. So uh, Bryson, he is six. He just turned six about a month or so ago. Anna is two and a half and she is my firecracker, okay? Anna is the one that is going, is, she tests my gangsta all the time. And then I have Maddie and Maddie's um nine months at this point. Stay-at-home mom life is not for, you know, the weak of heart. It is definitely, right. I mean, any parts of motherhood in general, right. don't get me wrong, but we're yeah. talking about stay-at-home moms right now, right? <laughs> so it's, it's the, I remember I actually worked um, in childcare in my 20s and I always thought like, man, people who right. work in childcare have mm-hmm. mandated breaks, like, <laughs> like, Every, you know, like four hours, you're supposed to get like 15 minutes. And then if you work like eight to nine hours or whatever, you're supposed Mm -hmm. to get a whole hour. And that's with intention, right? 
because the amount of patience it takes, even when they're your little ones, right? Let me tell you, especially when they're if your I'm being ones. honest, I ask my husband so. sometimes, I'm like, are they like this when they're with you? Because there is no way that it's me. Like, am I the drama? Am I the problem? Because there is no, <laughs> there's no way that they're acting like that just with me. But one of the things that I've learned through motherhood, if I'm being honest, is that my kids, they see me as their safe space. So it's so much easier for them to let loose with any type of emotions that they have, with just anything, whether they're upset, whether they're happy, whether, you know, they want something. I'm the person that they feel the most comfortable just letting loose with everything. So as hard as it is, I'm very grateful for that, to be honest. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Right there. The safe space. That's it. That's it. So we're going to talk about all three pregnancies. I know that often the first one just kind of falls into the second one and the third one or whichever way that you want to share this, it's okay with me. Um, you can just start telling us about the pregnancies in general and then we'll okay. move into the actual so my. Okay? first pregnancy was with my son Bryson and we were just going through so many changes I remember so we I'll start around February 2000 uh I think like February 2015 so I had decided I was like you know what let's just go look for like let's shop around see if we find a house that we like in the area in which we lived it was way too expensive if I'm being honest like I lived in the city and it was just too expensive so we had to move a little bit more up north and I'm in Poughkeepsie now because of that so we found our house we closed on the house come May and money was super duper tight my husband and I you know we were in our mid-20s we were just like, oh, this just kind of seems like the natural progression of things, right? To buy a house. And then I was like, you know, we have this house. It, it was a big house just for the two of us. And I'm like, maybe we should start having kids. So we decide that we're going to try ha- to have to have kids. And we closed in May. And then come about two and a, yeah, like two months, two and a half months later, I find out that I'm pregnant. And that was very nerve wracking for me because as much as I wanted to have uh, to have kids, I was just like financially, I didn't know if we were ready for it because, you know, childcare is super duper expensive. And I was just like, I don't know what this is going to going to going to do to our pocket. So the good thing in my experience about having kids is that it really lights a fire under you to try to move up or to try to see if there's certain things that you can do. So it it really was a motivation for both myself and my husband. So, you know, while I was pregnant with him, I got a promotion at work and everything was fine. It was okay. But then we had to travel so, so far because I worked closer to the city. So I was very, very tired throughout the, throughout most of my pregnancy and uh, my husband he worked in he worked in the city so he was traveling a lot and you know just taking the train it was just so much so at first I was super duper excited when I found out that I was pregnant but it was it, it very quickly turned into like uh like a fear 
I want to say, because financially, I just didn't know where we were. And I really didn't know what to expect. Like, I was just like, yeah, I want to have a baby. Let's have a baby. I'm pregnant. And I'm like, oh, like life is about to get real. So that was my, that was my, you know, my initial reaction to finding out I was pregnant with him. However, throughout the entire pregnancy, everything was just fine. You know, I was going to my doctor's appointments. Um, and truthfully speaking, I was like very, I felt very alone during my pregnancy too, because we were so far away from family. My parents lived about an hour from us and, you know, all of my friends lived about an hour and a half from us. So I felt very alone. And then my husband was working in the city and it took him like two hours just to get down there because he was taking the train. So I just didn't have much um, support physically around me. And I went to most of the appointments by myself. I, I think my husband came to just one appointment with me. So there was a lot of loneliness around that. And one of the things that I that I learned is to kind of speak up a little bit more. Because even though I was experiencing this loneliness, I, I like in retrospect, I would never really asked for someone to be able to come to these appointments with me. So I really learned to, to speak up and to not just shoo it away because, oh, well, people have to work. You know, I have to be understanding because people have to work. But, and that's true, but two things could be true at the same time, right? Yes, I can be understanding, but it's not to say that I shouldn't even ask for something that I want. So that was definitely something that I learned just throughout the pregnancy. Um, and then everything was fine. I remember for him, I was like in my in my heart of hearts and in my head, I was like, oh, I want a boy. I want a boy. We're going to have a boy. We're going to have a boy. And then when I finally found out that we were going to have a boy, I was so excited because I hadn't told anyone that I just had a feeling like I just had a sense that we were going to have a boy. So when I found out, I was super excited over the moon. And they were like, oh, I didn't know that you wanted a boy. And I was like, yeah, like it goes back to what I was saying about learning how to just speak up and just say things like it doesn't even have to be because you want something if just because I had the feeling it was okay for me to kind of share it and I realized that I wasn't even doing that so that was with Bryson for my pregnancy do you want me to go straight into the birth for Bryson if that feels good for you absolutely Okay, so yeah, let's just talk about my birth with Bryson. So my water broke really early in the morning. And by the time that like it was like around six o'clock in the morning. And by the time I got to the hospital, I was forming four centimeters dilated. And I wasn't having like any contractions. And my plan initially was I'm going to do this naturally. But I didn't prepare myself for what that was going to, you know, what was that going to look like? What type of supports was it that I going that I was going to need? Like I did absolutely nothing to prepare. I remember I didn't ask my doctors about, you know, what to do or how or anything like that. So I was they did offer me the epidural immediately, even though I wasn't experiencing any pain. And when the contractions really started to hit me. I was like, oh, this is like, this is real. I like, I don't think I can do this, especially because I hadn't prepared and 
<laughs> my husband, this guy, he just, you know, I, they just don't like to see us in pain. So he, once I told him, I was like, oh, I think I'm going to need to get the epidural because it's starting to get intense. He was like, all right, let me see if I can find a doctor. But all the anesthesiologists were in the OR. So I had to wait about another hour or two before they were actually able to give me the epidural. And I remember that the nurses were being, they were trying to be supportive, but I just didn't feel that they were being supportive. They told me from the very beginning, it was like, look, do not move. They're going to stick you. Do not move. And I remember that they were also trying to wait in between the contractions, but there's no real way to kind of time contractions. You know, so they kind of stuck me and I jumped a little bit. And at the same time, I felt like a contraction was coming, but they can't stop. You know, like the needle is in already. So they tried to, you know, they tried to help me kind of just bear down and they did it. I'm not going to lie. They were very quick. They were very, uh, very fast with it. Then I'm realizing that I'm like kind of in and out of like, I'm just getting very tired and very lethargic. So again, I know nothing about the epidural. I don't know how it's supposed to, you know, how it's supposed to make me feel. I just know it's supposed to numb me. So they come hours later and then they check me and they're like, oh, you, you're, you're not dilating. So then they had to give me, what is it called? They had to give me Pitocin to kind of move, you know, and just get things moving. So they give me Pitocin and now I'm starting to, I'm starting to dilate again. And then, but a lot of, t- uh, there's like a long time that's passing between the time that they gave me the epidural, they gave me Pitocin and then they checked me again. And then I hear one of the nurses say, oh, she could have started pushing a while ago already. I'm like, how often like, I'm not trying to be funny, but it's like, how often do you people do this? Right? Like, <laughs> like, how often do you people do this? Why aren't you checking to make sure that I'm pushing at the time frame in which I'm supposed to? And then when it was time for me to push, I felt like I was having contractions, but they weren't being picked up on that monitor. So they were trying, they were telling me, you can only push when you have a contraction, which I understand why, but it's like, what are you going to kind of like believe, right? Are you going to believe me and my body or are you only going to pay attention to this monitor? Which later on, I find out that the monitors, depending on the strength of the contraction, they, the monitors don't always pick it up. So it's like, they're telling me, to not push because I don't have a contraction, but I feel a contraction. And then I tried to push and they were like, Oh, that was a good push, but you're not contracting. So I'm just like, I I don't know. Like I literally don't know what to do. And I also strongly believe that they weren't, um, what's the word? Like that they weren't, they weren't checking to see how much of the epidural they were giving me. Because I remember, like, just fast forward a little bit to even right after I had given birth and after I had my son, I couldn't feel my legs. Like, I needed to have the nurse on one side and my husband on the other side so that, that way they can literally, like, lift me up. 
And it's like the epidural isn't supposed to be that strong because you're supposed to be able to feel the contraction. So now I'm thinking, was I really feeling a contraction or was I not? Like, I didn't know. Um, And during the birth, I come to find out that the doctor that I had been seeing was actually um, like a resident doctor or someone that was basically still in training, but they never explained to me that that doctor was still in training. And that, yeah, and then there comes another doctor behind him, and this man is not wearing gloves, but he's very hands-off. I'm not going to lie. He was very hands-off, but he's standing behind the, you know, this this doctor in training, and, and then what happens? And I guess that he... The doctor in training was basically saying, like, look, the baby isn't moving. As the as you're pushing, the baby's head is coming out, but he's going back in. And later on, this is all, like, now, um, during my third pregnancy, I'm realizing, I learned that that's just the baby making way to come down and out of the, the birth canal. So that that's a natural response to the baby coming in and out. But the actual doctor that's supervising him, I see that he, like I said, he's not wearing gloves, but I was scared because his hand was so close to me. I felt like he was going to touch me without a glove on. So all of this is going on. And like, this is my first time. I'm just trusting the doctors at this time. So it was very, it was very scary during that, um, you know, during those few seconds. But then the doctor in training, he was like, um, he, he said something about the, the vacuum. He was like, since the baby is, is coming out and coming back in, we kind of need to use a vacuum to get him out. And the way that it works is we just put, we put it on the baby's head and then we're going to help him out. So I was like, okay, that's fine. So he used the vacuum. And later on is when I realized like the vacuum is really not, it's not something that you, that, that, that needs to be used from the way that I understood it. And they end up having to cut me. So I end up having an, an episteotomy or however it is that you say the word. Um, because my son wasn't coming out. And looking back at it, I do feel like um, I didn't, I, I feel like I didn't get the, the actual support and care that I needed as, especially as a, as a first time mom, obviously any mother, but I feel like the mistake I made was feeling that I could put everything into the hands of the doctors. Like I was just relying on them to be, to educate me, um, not knowing what questions to ask. And it really left, you know, a bad taste in my mouth after that. But fast forward a little bit to, you know, my actual hospital stay after having him. My son was very lethargic. He was, you know, he was very, he, he was just, he was just very lethargic. Um, I had to wake him up to try to feed him. He wouldn't, he really wouldn't feed much. I remember that the day that when we were, well, at the time when we were supposed to leave, they had told me like, oh, well, we need to make sure that he wet a diaper before, that he wet a diaper before he goes. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Um, uh, They told me that they had changed his diaper while he was in the nursery. They were like, oh, yeah, we have found the diaper in the corner of his little bassinet thing. But whoever found it just took it and threw it out 
without checking to see if there was a document, if, if it was documented that he, that it was actually a wet diaper or dirty diaper. So I end up leaving like way later on that night and my son, you know, he ended up being very like colicky as soon as we got home. I had asked him, I had told him like, you know, I was feeling very tenderness, a little bit. I was feeling very tender and hard around my breasts and they were like, oh, you know, that's very normal. That's just because your milk is coming in. I asked them, you know, does my son have a tongue tie? Because I don't feel like as if he's taking anything. Like, my, like I was I was super duper uncomfortable. And even the, the hospital grade pump, I couldn't get anything out. So it was hard. It was, it was very hard. But then when I find out, like, you know, my son, he was... I was in the process of basically like evaluating him and things and come to find out at five that, no, I'm sorry, at like three and a half, four years old, my son actually did have a tongue tie, even though the lactation consultant at the hospital, she, she checked him, quote unquote, she checked him, but she said that he didn't have a tongue tie. So again, at it was just like, I just, like I said, I just didn't feel like as if I had the support that I needed. And in part, I also kind of just blame myself because I fully relied on the doctors to give me all the information. Um, So I did things a little differently when it came to my pregnancy with Anna, who's my second. I made sure that I asked questions um, during my, during my pregnancy around 30 weeks yeah I think I was around I was about 30 weeks pregnant they told me that she was measuring very small so once they told me that like honestly I just broke down crying there was a lot of guilt that came in with that because I was feeling like you know did I do something wrong am I not eating enough and one of the things that the doctor told me when she shared that information with me was don't go on google don't go on google because, you know, all of the, the stuff that you find on Google, nine out of 10 times is not going to help you. So I listened to her. I didn't go on Google, but that I feel like that was very fear inducing. Just her kind of telling me that at the same time, how could she have told me to, you know, not go on Google? Like, I don't think that there was a, a I'm, I'm grateful that she told me not to. Because I probably would have after, you know, I kind of got myself together. I probably would have went on Google, but I just feel like it was also very fear inducing. You know, like I said, I just didn't. Um, like I'm really, I'm literally getting chills. Like just thinking about it that I literally remember that day. As soon as she told me that the baby is measuring very small, like I started to break down. I cried and I cried and I cried and I told my husband I told my mother that this is what they said and everyone was like oh don't worry about it oh don't worry about it and it goes back to you know that that support and that feeling feelings of loneliness because I don't feel like as if I had anyone tell me like Vienna this is hard you know, like, I don't feel like as if I had anyone. And again, you know, like I said, even for my daughter, I don't think that my husband came to any of the appointments with me. 
I could be wrong, but I don't think he did. And it was just like, I, I don't feel like as if I had a shoulder to like cry on at that time. And it's hard um, and thinking about that because I also feel like there's this thing where we get so much credit for being strong and, you know, being able to just um, weather through things. But did we, we shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to be strong because everyone else is incapable of just taking a minute to kind of be like, you're going through a hard time. Come, let me give you a hug. What do you need? How can I help you? How can I support you? You know, so I it's hard to... Um, it's just hard thinking at that about that exact moment because I was scared, like I was petrified. I did not know what that meant. I, I didn't know what it meant. Um, I didn't know what it would mean afterwards. Like I, I just didn't know, and I had absolutely no no answers because I was. At first, it was very, you know, just the emotions of it. And then when I had my next appointment, I asked the doctor. And the doctor was like, well, after the baby is born, we will monitor her. And that's when my anxiety kind of went up because there's no way for me to prepare mentally. Like, I don't know what to prepare for. Um, So all of that to say, Anna is great now. Like I said, Anna is my my firecracker. Mm-hmm. She is, but <laughs> but during you know during the last ten weeks of my pregnancy, not actually like eight weeks of my pregnancy, because she was born at thirty eight weeks. They were they all were actually thirty eight weeks and two days. It was just you know it was it was very very scary. Um, another thing that I would say about my pregnancy with Anna was that or is that at the time I was working so I have a I have a background and I work with adults worked with adults and children with um disabilities so it could be intellectual developmental disabilities and some of them a good majority of them also had behavioral you know physical aggressive behaviors so at that time as much as we were trying to get pregnant with Anna, because that was the case, we, we were trying to get pregnant with Anna, I was working on a behavior support team in a school for children with disabilities. And every single time that a child, you know, was escalated and they were physically either injuring themselves or trying to hurt themselves or trying to hurt um, staff or successfully able to hurt staff, we as a behavior team had to step in. And that was scary, too. And the staff and everybody that I worked with, they were great. Like, they made sure that they were able to be there physically and that if I needed to kind of switch in with the staff so that way I can be with a child who maybe wasn't experiencing any physical aggression, they made sure that I was able to switch out with them. But it was always a fear because, you know, I could be walking up and down the hall and sometimes these things are very unpredictable. So... If a student gets upset, you know, or they're like, they have something in their hands, they could just throw it. And it was, it was very, very scary. Um, 
And as small as some of these kids were, they were very, very, very strong. So um, that was scary. And because of that, I decided that I needed to look for another job where I wasn't going to be compromising my health or the health of my children. So I went and I applied for work. I hid my pregnancy. Like, honestly speaking, I hid my pregnancy because this was a, it was a it was a job as a school counselor, which I had wanted, you know, for maybe f- four years at that point. And I had a belly. And I remember at that second interview, I was contemplating, should I wear a fitted shirt? Because I don't want to lie to them. But then I don't want them to, you know, disqualify me from the interviews or as a candidate because they said I'm pregnant. So I decided to wear a really big shirt. And once I got to that room, I was so happy I did because I did not expect the team to be that big. There was literally like eight, nine people interviewing me. And I would have felt so self-conscious that I wouldn't have been able to perform at all. So I was happy that I did. But um, I ended up getting the job. And we started school like Labor Day or right after Labor Day, which was the beginning of September. I think it was like, let's say September 3rd. And then I gave birth to Anna September 6th. So I started a new job. Within three days, I'm in labor. Um... I'm in the hospital and the doctor that I basically, um, what's the word? The doctor that admitted me into the hospital wasn't the doctor that I ended up seeing. So that was kind of the thing that had me feeling some type of way because I was like, she was a doctor that I had been seeing throughout the, you know, the last maybe some, uh, a trimester of my pregnancy, but she wasn't the one that delivered my baby so I was really like if I'm being honest I was bummed out because I felt like she knew me the best and she left so um I explained to the nurses my experience with Bryson when I was at the hospital when I was in labor and delivering him about how look they gave me the epidural again this time I want to try to do naturally um This time I just knew what to expect, but I didn't really look for supports on the other side, like how I could be more comfortable. So I ended up getting the epidural. But before then, I told them the epidural, I noticed my first pregnant, my first labor, that it really slowed me down. So they ended up having to give me Pitocin. What do you guys do to make sure that if it slows me down as I'm dilating, that I'm like, you know, that I'm still moving along. So the nurse explained it to me really well. She said, we give you the epidural. After about an hour, we're going to come and check you to see if you're dilating. If you're not, we're going to give you Pitocin. And then we're going to check you again in another hour to see if we're giving you enough Pitocin, too much Pitocin, or stuff like that. So I felt really comfortable. Um, the nurse, the doctors there, they were, they were great. You know, I felt, I think that that was um, a really good birthing experience. But my Anna, because she was so small in utero, she weighed less than six pounds when I gave birth to her. But um, that was pretty much it. And then I had to take just six weeks because I was really new there. And after six weeks, I went right back to work. Um, And then what happened? And then we went into the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, like six months after she was born, we went into the pandemic. Okay. How was your placenta at birth with Anna? 
Did they show it to you or talk about it? They they showed it to me, but they didn't. They did. They really didn't say much about it. Mm-hmm. To be honest, and now that you ask me that, I'm like, damn, I wish that I would have asked more about it because they were actually telling me that before I gave birth to Anna, they really wanted to to schedule an induction. And I was so against it because I was like, you know, I just want my body to do what it does. And I personally felt that there was nothing wrong. Yes, she was measuring small, but I didn't feel like it was necessary to go ahead and schedule an induction. The way that the doctor explained it to me was, well, if the baby doesn't come at 40 weeks and, you know, there's something there's something that could be going on with your placenta and that's why she's measuring so small, the placenta can actually start to die after the 40 weeks. So I was very hesitant to schedule. And to be honest, I never scheduled the the induction. So I'm like, I'm happy that I didn't like, you know, that I followed my gut when it came to that. Gotcha. Um, There's a couple things with that. There is, of course, just like you said, that when a baby's measuring small, especially towards the end of a pregnancy, and there does become some concerns about um, the placenta, whether or not it's, you know, the nutrients and everything are getting to your baby the way they should. And then, of course, that some babies are just small. because they may come from small people, right? Um, And (laughs) they're going to be small. But um, thinking about your work that you were doing before you became a school counselor, um, and I'm sharing this because, you know, we like to teach um, through stories too. So people that are listening to have a good understanding of how our bodies work and what everything is doing. And so when people are stressed, right, um, and, and have stressful jobs or live stressful lives as Black people living in America, right? We often hold our breath mm-hmm. um, and don't realize we're holding our breath or that we're not breathing easy. And part of our breath is also how baby is getting oxygen. Baby is, you know, your blood is flowing through from your body, you know, and everything going through the placenta and how that can have those types of effects. It doesn't put the blame on you, right? That's not what I'm saying Mm -hmm. at all. This is just physiology. This is how our bodies work. This is, you know, we're all working different types of jobs and experience different types of stress at any time. And I'm glad that you took that, you know, time to really pause and like, say, you know, this is my job, but it doesn't have to be my job, right? There, there are other things I can still do. And having that opportunity being presented to you towards the end of your pregnancy may have been part of the thing that helped her stay inside of you as long as she did, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so whenever there's something going on with bodies, in, in especially your body in pregnancy, so we don't know what our body is going to do in pregnancy. It is not the same body. And sometimes it just exposes other parts about either our lives or something else that was already going on in our body that we wouldn't have known about, right? Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm glad that you said that because I am a very, like, stop and think type of person. And my pregnancy with Anna... She was, it was, I felt like I had a, I had a deeper connection with myself and with, with Anna when I was pregnant with her. With Bryson and my pregnancy with him, 
it was like I wasn't as in tune with myself. And if I'm being honest, I feel like it was because I wasn't stopping and thinking and processing. It was just like, oh, you know, this is just kind of how it has to be. Again, going back to I didn't ask anyone to come with me to the appointments. It was just like, oh, this is just how it has to be. So the constant getting up, like we were literally leaving the house at like six o'clock in the morning. There were times where we weren't coming back home until maybe seven, eight o'clock at night. And it was the same thing with Bryson. Sometimes with Bryson, we were getting home even later um, because, again, like I said, we didn't have money for childcare. So my mother, who lived an hour away from us, was with him. And just because of the daily demands of work during my pregnancy with Bryson, I'm sorry, the daily demands of life during my pregnancy with Bryson after Bryson was born, it was like I didn't have the time to think. So I was very intentional during my pregnancy with Anna to to think about what does Vienna need? Like, and during my, during, you know, Bryson's maybe first year or so of life, I really had to learn that it's okay for me to put myself first because if I don't, no one will put me first. You know, and, and I'm not saying that in a way of like selfishness because everyone is entitled to be selfish with themselves. Everyone is entitled to that. Everyone is entitled to to putting themselves first, meeting their own needs, because I realized that I started to to walk I was walking around with a lot of resentment and it was because no one was meeting my needs. I was upset because my husband wasn't meeting my needs in regards to, you know, I need I need 20 minutes today. Take Bryson. I don't know what I'm going to do for these 20 minutes, but I need to I need to step away. And I was expecting for him to offer those 20 minutes. Hey, like let me get Bryson and he's not going to do that. Because he's not thinking oh, this is what Vienna needs because I never voiced that this is what I needed. So again, just learning all of that throughout, you know, my pregnancy with Bryson and, you know, the first year or so with Bryson, I was very intentional of what do I need to do with this second pregnancy once the second baby comes, especially because she's a girl, right? I don't want her to walk around with these people-pleasing, you know, qualities or characteristics because that's how I was raised. And that led to a lot of guilt about putting myself first. And that's not something I want to pass down to my kids, any of them, you know, even Bryson, even him being a boy. So it was like, how am I going to model this? How am I going to show my kids it's okay to put you first? It's okay to do what you have to do. Doesn't mean to shut everybody else out. What everybody else needs to do is not always going to be, um, is not always going to come second, but you're not always going to come second either. So how do I go ahead and model that? Um, but yeah, um, the whole job thing, I was just like, I can't, I can't do this. I was actually working with, a, with a woman who was a part of the behavior support team and she was a lot older than me. I want to say maybe 15 to, to 20. Like, there was a big age gap. Like, I don't want to say she was a lot older, but there was a big age gap between me and her. I think she was, like, 15 to 20 years older than I was. And, you know, her kids were, like, 
in high school and going off to college at that age. And she was working behavior because she loved behavior. She knew her stuff. Hands down, she knew her stuff when it came to the science behind it, creating the plans, the supports, and stuff like that. I learned a lot from her. But she got injured, you know, working with, I think he was like seven. She got injured with a seven-year-old behind the mat. And when I say behind the mat, it's because one of the things that, um, behaviorally speaking, we try to do is... We try to give the child their privacy while they're having their meltdown, right? Like sometimes if you feel like you need to cry, you want to go off to the side and you want to cry with no eyes on you. We try to do the same thing for the child. So she was behind the mat with this student and he just like forcefully went back while she had him, you know, she had him in a hold and he like popped something with her like rib. I think like the muscle that's attached to the rib or something popped and she was out she was out like it hurt for her to even walk to move because you know that's your core and stuff like to breathe it was hard for her so she needed time off from work and that was a very valuable lesson to me I do not want to get hurt rolling around with a seven-year-old or with a child because this is something that I'm passionate about. Like, I loved working with them, regardless of what state they were in, regardless of whether they were escalated or not. But my kids need me. Like, you know, God forbid that something like this happens to me, regardless of whether I'm pregnant or not, my kids are still small. So, you know, there were, like, staff were constantly getting hurt. Staff was down. And that was part of the reason why I needed to make the decision to go, because I can't risk myself and my family is depending on me. So it was just like, it, it, it was a lot. It was a lot. You had Anna six months before the pandemic mm-hmm. hit. And mm-hmm. how was postpartum for you during that time period? Because I mean, you're still in it, right? I mean, postpartum's forever, of course, with us. But mm-hmm. let's talk about postpartum. So. Postpartum with Anna, it was, it was really good, to be honest. I felt like it was, it was really good. The only, this was the only downside to it. Um, my mother, so my mother was here. She was with me, I feel like almost the whole five to six weeks after Anna was born, you know, while before I went to work and stuff like that. So she was very helpful. Like my mother came in, she did the stuff that I did not, that I do not like doing. Like I don't mind cooking, but I hate being in the kitchen with the washing of the dishes. I feel like that, all of that stuff is just never ending. So my mother was really good. Like she made sure that there was um, breakfast, lunch, dinner, um, and stuff like that. The downside to it though was how engorged I got with Anna. Like, I was scared that I was going to develop mastitis. If that's how you say it, I don't, I don't know. But um, I was really scared that I was going to develop mastitis. But she was she was really good. She liked a lot of movement. So that was that was kind of like the hard part of it, too. She would not sleep in her crib. Like, Bryson slept in his crib since the very beginning. Anna would not. And my husband and I, we were both up in the middle of the night with her, just trying to get her to go to sleep. And Anna got 
heavy. Like, you know, as as small as she was when she was born, she picked up weight so quickly and she actually surpassed a lot of the kids her age. You know, when they're looking at the percentile and the growth charts and stuff like that, like she surpassed that really, really well. And my husband really did a good job at night, like trying to get her to go to sleep when we were all going to sleep but then after we were all down that was on me (laughs) like I had to be the one that would get her to sleep you know I would like change her diaper do all of that stuff but oh this is crazy story on my first day back to this brand new job that I had we had a meeting with um the principal and as the principal is talking to me at this meeting I like almost fell asleep like she's literally like vienna like talking to me and i could feel my eyes getting low and i realized that like my head dropped i was like oh my god like they gonna fire me <laughs> like i was immediately my thought i was like oh my god they're gonna fire me but um no one said anything and i'm like oh thank god but i think it's because you know we were all women and they all knew what that's like like six weeks coming back to work is very very fast and just because you're cleared, that's why they give us so much more time to be able to take off, you know, obviously, depending on the job, they give us more time. But I think that my experience with Anna was good. I was very nervous, though, because Bryson, he was he was three and a half when Anna was born and Bryson was starting preschool. So. Bryson has some developmental delays and we didn't know exactly what it was at the time. So they had actually, we had started the early intervention process with him. And through the early intervention, they decided like, look, we can keep him on his services, but we do recommend that he goes into a preschool that's specialized, that'll be able to help him. And my concern through my pregnancy with Bryson was, I don't, my baby, like, how is he going to transition? I feel like this is a lot of things happening in life throughout this time. Like, you know, he's starting a new school September. Like, literally, I gave birth to Anna September 6th. That was a Friday, 7, 8, September 9th. Bryson started at the new school. So all of this was happening. Um, That was just my, you know, that was me, how I felt for him. But he did really well. We were also potty training him at that time. So there was just so much going on. Um, But one of the things that caused me a lot of anxiety was that how am I going to manage the two by myself? So that was one of the things, like I remember after Anna was born, I think she was maybe like three or four weeks My mother had an appointment, so she couldn't be with us for one particular day. And that was a day where, okay, we had to get Bryson ready for school, get his lunch ready, do all of those things. But then Anna was still going to be here. So my fear was I can't even pick Bryson up to kind of bring him to wherever I need to if he refuses to do something for me. So it was like, how am I going to heal properly? That was my concern. Like, how am I going to heal if I'm not supposed to pick him up? But if he, like, drops to the floor because he doesn't want to go downstairs to get on the bus, how am I going to get him to stand up? And the bus is going to have to go. So you know how it goes, like, with anxiety, your head just starts going with all of the possible outcomes. So then I'm like, how am I going to get two kids in the car to get Bryson to school if Bryson doesn't get on the bus? Is Bryson going to get to school late? So there was a lot of that kind of going on. 
especially when it came to me being at home by myself with the with the two of them but luckily there was no issue bryson was fine um it took him a while to warm up to anna <laughs> he was he was one of those where he was like oh like i like you from over there don't you know don't come around me i'm not gonna go around you but he was very excited when he first met her but it took him a while to kind of warm up to her when she came home um i'm trying to think if there was anything else postpartum when it came to when it came to anna but i don't i don't think so um breastfeeding her was a lot easier than it was with bryson so i made sure to kind of like start up with my stash of breast milk a lot earlier with her because with bryson it just you know with a tongue tie i ended up having to, to supplement with formula and then he basically transitioned to full formula at around six months but that wasn't the case with anna um the pandemic postpartum with the pandemic that that's what really got me like i was still you know like everybody else we were still supposed to work from home meeting with students trying to time the you know her her naps between me meeting with students or having my team meetings that was hard and then doing um, learning uh, what is it like homeschooling that was hard and his therapies from online that was hard on me i feel like that was a lot harder on me than it was for bryson uh but i remember my anxiety like what it, it was so so elevated to the point where i started to develop all types of rashes like i had a rash right here on my neck i had another rash here on my on, on my wrist but i tried to be positive about it and that's one of the things that hit me where it was like there goes that toxic positivity because i didn't have with bryson i had 10 weeks to be with him with Anna I only had six so I was like okay well maybe you know this is just a different way of how I'll be able to make up for quote-unquote make up for lost time that I didn't have with Bryson I'll be able to do that with Anna but it that really didn't like trying to force myself to think about it that way it really didn't help and I think that that's what what fueled that anxiety just trying to force myself to be on the positive to think on the positive side of it all um but that's pretty much it oh and then my husband was working like he was still working outside of the home during the pandemic and that was was very scary i was scared that he was going to come home and bring covid home but that didn't happen until november actually um my husband and i had both got covid and crazy story about that like i found out that i was pregnant with maddie and that was my husband actually my husband he just had a feeling he was like i think you're pregnant i was like all right like relax anna was only a year like oh this is the thing that makes me so nervous <laughs> anna's birthday is in september the beginning of september uh at the end of october my husband's like i have a feeling you need to take a pregnancy test. I was like, sir, relax. We're okay. I don't need to take a pregnancy test, but I'm going to do it just to shut you up. Like, literally, that's <laughs> that's what I told him. I was like, I'm going to take a pregnancy test uh, just to shut you up. And girl, that pregnancy test came back positive. 
<laughs> oh my god that pregnancy test came back positive i was like let me take a look at this i was like all right look this is an expired pregnancy test okay we are gonna go get another one right now because there is no way that this that this test is positive so i had just peed like that's another thing that happened i had just peed and i was nervous that this thing was gonna come back positive so i'm like drinking tons and tons of water to try to get me to pee but you know it doesn't happen that quickly so I go on Google and I'm Googling like can an expired pregnancy test give a, an actual read? I was like, it said that it can come back. You know, it can be a, an actual read even if it's expired. I was like, uh, yo, we are in trouble. So then when I needed to pee, I went, I took that next part, that, that second um, pregnancy test and it came back positive. Oh my God. I don't know how I didn't collapse. I cried, like, and a boohoo cried. Like, I, I, I can't even think, I can't really think or explain, or I can't put into words how I really felt, but I was so devastated. I was so devastated. And there was a lot going on at work. Um, I was put on basically on a review where each month I had to sit down and review with my with my two superiors. <sighs> um, Anna, like I said, had just turned a year. Like she, like I said, her birthday was September. We found out at the end of October. It was like literally the day before Halloween when I found out that I was pregnant. And I was just like, I don't I don't see how I'm going to make this work. Like, you know, we were okay financially, but it, it, to me, it wasn't about the finances. Like, I had always said I wanted to have two or three kids. I had always said that. But finding out that I was pregnant with a one-year-old and a four-year-old, I was like, this is just not the time. Because literally maybe two weeks oh my god I forgot about this so two weeks before I found out I was pregnant I had literally went to the doctor and I was like look I'm thinking about getting my tubes tied but I'm not sure if I'm done having kids so the doctor was like look if you're not sure if you're done having kids then obviously I would recommend that you don't get your tubes tied but you can have you know we can give you some type of birth control and I was on the the IUD what is it yeah, it was the IUD. I'm confusing it with something else. But um, it was the IUD that I had. And my experience with birth control was just not pleasant. Like with the hair loss and the acne, the appetite changes, like all of that stuff. I, I was just against the hormonal. So I was on the copper IUD after I had Bryson. But it was very uncomfortable. Like with my periods were just so heavy. I was like, you know what? I'm breastfeeding. Like literally, I was like, I'm breastfeeding. That's going to be my birth... <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be my birth control i'll be all right and whew, that i think that that was that's where i kind of made the mistake because obviously you can still get um you can still get pregnant and at that time i was already like i already had my period or getting my period but i just thought that i was gonna be okay like this is you know this is the one of the risks that you don't want to take 
because I we intentionally waited, you know, those three years before um before Anna was born. Like we were very intentional with that. So that was my biggest fear with with Maddie. Um and then my pregnancy with Maddie, who so stressful. It was just so stressful. Like I worked in a predominantly white school district and I just didn't feel like as if they really understood all of the the stuff that was going on during the height of the pandemic with George Floyd and you know Donald Trump and I'm not this is the thing right like I'm not I'm not necessarily saying that anyone who supports Donald Trump is a racist that is not what I'm saying at all but the way that he kind of carried himself is where people then started to associate racism with him because of the type of comments that he made and this is like we live like literally in the mountains up here in New York so a lot of those people that live in the mountains they also have like their own businesses and you know, they are very much so Republican. So that June, right after everything happened with George Floyd, we decided for the eighth graders who were graduating, we had decided that we were going to do like a caravan. So me being their school counselor, I was like, obviously, it's going to look good if I go. And all you saw hung up around the houses were these Donald Trump flags and all of that stuff and stuff like that is very, um, you know, like it just it just puts you down because I feel like someone that supports a racist or someone who is just so um, out there with the comments that that he says. I just feel like you don't see my humanity. So it's really hard um, being in a school like that and then. You know, when the rioting on Capitol Hill happened, I had a parent kind of come at me like, why would you why would you ask that at this time? But then when all of this stuff was happening, nobody asked the students. And I'm like, I'm an educator. This is my job. My job is to give my students space to talk about things, regardless of what I see and regardless of how I feel about it. So. It ended up going as high as to like the superintendent because the parent just felt that I was very anti-Trump because of my timing with it. But, you know, that it, that didn't go badly. What ended up going really badly was my monthly meetings with my superiors. I literally have never felt so broken and torn down by people that I worked with and they were what's the word they were um I feel like they were attacking my character they weren't attacking my my job I felt like they were attacking my character and it was a lot of inconsistencies I feel like even the union didn't really have my back there was just so much that was going on um and I ended up having to go to the doctor and this is I had been working with the doula which was pretty late if I'm being honest I think I I found her around um again around like 30 weeks 28 weeks 30 weeks I started working with her and 
I was just like, I don't think that I should continue to put my mental health on the line when they're attacking me the way that they're attacking me. So she was like, you know what you do? You go to your doctor's office and you ask them if they can give you a letter for you to start your maternity leave early. I was like, okay, I don't have a problem doing that, but what am I going to do if they if they say that they can't give me a letter to start my maternity leave earlier? Because I had tried to do the same thing when I was pregnant with Anna because, again, you know, Anna was measuring small and I was working in a physically unsafe area. I tried to do the same thing and they wouldn't give it to me. They said that the earliest that we can give it to you is for 38 weeks. And I was nowhere near the 38 weeks with, well, I was, I think, 36. I think I was around 36, 37 weeks with um, Madison. So I was thinking about it. I was like, you know what? Let me just wait until my next appointment. And at this point, I was still seeing the doctors every two weeks. Um, So at 36 weeks, I think it was. Yes, at 36 weeks. That week, you know, that Monday through Friday, I had my, what's his name? He was, he's my director. I had my director send an email to me with a CC to the principal, the union reps, the union presidents, basically saying that it's very obvious that I do not care about my job because I did not attend a meeting, but I was not invited to the meeting. I did so many other things to prepare. I made sure that he was aware that I did all of this stuff to prepare for this meeting and I was not a, I was not invited to the meeting. So I felt like he was purposely not inviting me to see if I would show up or to see if I wanted to if I was going to ask to be invited to the meeting. But I think that that was the last straw. Like literally, I saw that email and I almost, I, I almost started crying immediately. And it was like around like one o'clock, and our day ended. I think at like two or two thirty. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna see if I can. Like, let me just go to work tomorrow. See how I feel. My blood pressure was elevated at work. I was stressed out. I was having headaches. Because I was just like so anxious and I was, I I just wasn't, I just wasn't feeling it anymore. So I went to my principal and the nurse checked my blood pressure. That's how I knew that my blood pressure was elevated. And they were like, you know what, you need to go home. So on my way home, I made an appointment to see the doctor. And when I was at the doctor's office, I asked them, I was like, this is a very stressful work environment. And I have a history of having my kids. This is what the doula told me to say. She was like, tell them that you have a history of having your kids at the 38-week mark. And part of the reason could be because you're constantly under these stressful situations. So I went and I told, and I didn't even have to tell them what she had told me. But they, without a problem, gave me my doctor's note. Without a problem. And I was like, okay. So... I went to work the next day. I gave it to them. And that was on a Wednesday that I gave them the doctor's note. Um, Come Thursday, that very Friday was my last day at work. And I had a week to chill. And Maddie was born that following week. So I was very happy, to be honest. Like, I was very happy that I decided to take the time to kind of just, like, make sure that 
I was nesting and just chilling and I was able to have my feet up. And the crazy thing with Madison, because, and I feel like it was because I was working with the doula, I was so much more in tune with my body, even more so than when I was pregnant with um, Anna. So with Maddie, I specifically remember I lost my mucus plug uh, Wednesday, Thursday. No, yeah, I lost my, my mucus plug on Wednesday. Wednesday was Bryson's graduation from his preschool. Um, I had... I also had went <laughs> I had went to go get a manicure and a pedicure. All of this while I, you know, while my basically I was getting ready to get into active labor. And the next day, no right, that same day we also went out to eat to celebrate Bryson's birthday. Then Thursday, that's when I first started to experience um contractions. So Thursday around three o'clock. No, actually, Thursday around 3 o'clock is when I started to notice that my contractions were coming, like, every 30 minutes. Every 30 minutes. Because when we were out to eat, actually, was when I started to experience more consistent contractions. Um, come around 3 o'clock, Thursday, like I said, it was every 30 minutes. And then come, like, 7, 8 o'clock is when they started to move up from, like, every... 30 minutes to like maybe every 25 minutes girl by 11 30 12 o'clock my contractions were coming every 10 minutes every 10 minutes and I was scared I was like yo this hurts and my plan working with my doula was she was like you don't want to get the epidural do not go to the hospital so early because they're gonna you know you know that it's there and if you're home you know that that's not an option so the doula, she was really, really, really good. Um, she was just telling me that everything that my body does as uncomfortable or as painful as it is, that is just your body doing what it needs to do. There were plenty of there are plenty of women that continue to deliver and have babies without, you know, without any interventions. You don't have doctors checking them to see if they're dilated or anything like that. So you just listen to your body. Just be so in tune with your body. And everything that you're going to be feeling is natural. So I'm laboring at home. I remember at 10 o'clock, I had spoken to my sister. And I, I was pretty sure that I had told her, all right, I think it's time. You need to head over here. But, you know. Her and my parents, they live an hour from us. So that's when I was like, where are you? Like, come. It's like 1045 and I called her. I was like, okay, how far are you? She was like, you wanted me to leave? I was like, yeah, girl, I need you to be here now. So she ends up leaving at that time. And she comes with my nephew. My nephew, he, he was six at the time. And he was nervous kind of seeing me so uncomfortable but Bryson and Anna had already fell asleep. So they didn't get to experience me like that. But my nephew, he did. And when I spoke to my sister later on, she said that he was so concerned. He wanted to make sure that you were okay. Um, but it got to the point where my water did not break. So that was one thing that was different with Maddie. With Maddie, 
I started to experience contractions first with Bryson and Anna. My waters immediately broke before having any contractions. Um, so I remember trying to just sway back and forth to see if I, that brought me any comfort. The doula had, had said like, look, if you guys are up for it, go lay down, you know, take off all your clothes, do skin to skin contact, because that's also going to help you. But honestly speaking, I don't think my husband was feeling that he was just, all he saw was that I was just so uncomfortable and in so much pain that he tried but I don't think that he was really able to like give me the like the embrace that I needed because for him it was just like you know he had his own um it was a different experience for him than it was for me so what else happened um so my sister gets here I had called the doula and that was because they told me to call the doula I was gonna hold off to be honest I was really gonna hold off um, but they told me to call the doula. The doula came maybe another 40 minutes after my sister had gotten here. And by like 1230, we were on our way to the hospital. Um, and I had to tell my husband, like, you need to go very slowly. But in his mind, he's like, we got to go. We got to go. There's no going slow. The only way I'm going to stop is if we had a red light. I was just like, ugh. I'm like, I, I remember I couldn't even fully sit. I had to kind of be up like this the whole drive because I just, I just couldn't. Um, we got to the hospital and because again, you know, we're still dealing with COVID at this point. This was um, June of last year. So we're still in about a year, year and a half of the, of the pandemic. They didn't allow my husband or my doula to come in to be triaged with me and I'm sitting in the wheel in the on the wheelchair and I remember like I broke down crying and even before that the security guard was the one that was taking me in to be triaged and he told me to put my feet up on the on the, the thing for the wheelchair and I was literally having a contraction I almost bit this man's head off because I was like I'm trying give me a minute like I'm having a contraction I literally had to tell him that and he was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> he was just like, oh, I'm sorry. And um, I broke down crying on our way, on my way to be triaged for a couple of reasons. One, again, I was by myself. I didn't want to be alone. And this dummy is like pushing me. And I feel every single bump and, and step and crack that's on the floor. He's just like, boom, like just pushing me through. And I was already in so much pain. Like, I don't even think I started. I, I don't think that I even cried until that point. Like, even with all the pain and stuff. And then they triage me. They bring me to the, my actual room. The nurses are asking me so many questions. Mind you, I had already pre-registered before giving birth. You know, there was just so much. And... I got upset because they couldn't find my veins and I have small veins. So I got upset because they literally in the middle of, of, of my contractions and all of the stuff that's going on, they're asking me like 30 million questions. I had three different people poke me like seven times just so that way they could find my knee, my, my veins. And they're like, Oh, um, we couldn't, your, your veins keep moving every time you have a contraction. 
But people, this is what you do. <laughs> this is what you do. So please help me understand how exactly is it that you can't find my vein in between contractions when this is what you people literally do. You're, you're a nurse. Maybe I'm being too hard on them. I don't know. But that's how I felt at the time. Like, I don't know. Um, so I remember, you know, and I, and I, I wear glasses. I use glasses. And I remember I had to take my glasses off. There was a point in time where I was just like viciously, viciously like just shaking my head. But even when my eyes closed and as I'm shaking my head, it was like I was literally just so there. I I sensed everyone's movements. I knew who was who, where everybody was moving. And one of the things that I was so happy about was that during my three pregnancies, I, you know, I felt a little bit of nausea, but I never really, I never threw up for any of my pregnancies. But while I'm in labor with Madison, I literally told him, like, I feel like I'm about to throw up. So they give me the they give me the little baggie and I actually end up throwing up and they one of the one of the nurses there had told me like sometimes women when they're throwing up they throw up and they push the baby out because of you know all your muscles and all of that stuff and I was like oh my god really like <laughs> and that's part of the reason why I'm so like fascinated mm-hmm. with women's bodies and you know, just with what we do, because our bodies are literally made for this. Like, there's nothing that, nothing that we cannot do, or nothing that the body does is going to harm us, especially when we're with child. Um, but yeah, I think that that was a very, and I naturally, I mean, not naturally, I initially wanted to have a home birth. Mm-hmm. And my husband was not with it. My father, my mother, <laughs> nobody <laughs> wasn't nobody with it. And I was okay. So I was born in Honduras, and my mother had me, you know, at my grandmother's house. Very minimal interventions, very minimal medical interventions at that. And I was just like, how cool would it be that I could do the same thing? But everybody is like, you know how much technology we have now. Why would you want to do that? And then I'm like, first off, it is my birthing experience, but seeing my husband, how he was during our first two, well, during our um, first two children's and their delivery and their labor, I already know that he's not one that would be very supportive. Like, you know, just being honest, like, I don't think that he would be able to, to, to give me like that physical type of support that we need, be, that I need because of what his experience is and what he's going through and how he's processing it. And not saying, you know, not trying to, you know, like shit on him or anything like that. But I was like, what do I need to do so that way I can have the most pleasant birthing experience for myself? So that was for me what allowed me to make the decision to have um to have a natural birth if possible in a hospital setting um and he was awesome my doula was awesome you know I had like I I was getting these these chills and these shakes and I was holding hands and squeezing and I remember my doula at one point whispered in my ear because the doctor had said that he wanted to break my waters and she was like tell them no like literally in my ear but she's on this ear telling me that 
And then I have one of the nurses on the other side. After like, I was I, I was there with pain. I was like really up there, and she was like, "You see, Vienna, you could have had this baby a long time ago. That's why the doctor wanted to break your water." And I'm just like, okay, right? Like it goes back to that fear, like, damn, did I make the wrong decision by telling the doctor, no, I don't want you to break my waters now. But again, I am really happy that I listened and paid attention to what I needed, what my body was telling me. And I really didn't have any doubt that, um, because I've heard some not very good stories with doulas, but I never once doubted her intentions in working with me so I'm very happy about that and I would recommend her like 10 times over so she told me tell them no and we waited until I was like nine centimeters and then that's when she was like if that's what you want to do I would recommend for you to do it at this point so they broke my waters and um Maddie was born like 2 30 something in the morning like literally when I came in I think I was like maybe five or six centimeters dilated but the rest of the time it was just so quick because my labor with my older two was about a 12 hour labor but the the pains of the contractions were only about like maybe six hours with Bryson and then with Anna I want to say maybe another three or four hours but with Maddie it was boom, boom, boom. And my postpartum with her was, ooh, it was tough. After having Maddie, oh gosh, my husband and I, we were not seeing eye to eye. Um, my mother was home with us only for the first three weeks. And my mother, after she left, I felt like she was putting pressure on me for to do something, but I couldn't remember what. And I had to tell her, I was like, Ma, you think that I could do as much as you want me to? I would love to be able to do all of this stuff, but I can't. I don't have anyone here to help me. The person that was helping me was, was you, but you were only here for three weeks. And that's not even the full, you know, six weeks that the doctors recommend. So, and then... When Maddie was born, Bryson was transitioning into kindergarten as well. Um, I think that, and because Bryson was transitioning into kindergarten, maybe while I was pregnant with Maddie is when we found out that we had gotten an actual confirmation of a autism diagnosis for Bryson. So it was just like so much that was just going on you know, the school shopping, just so much because she was born in June and we start school in September. There was just a lot that was going on. Um, but two days after after discharge, being discharged from the hospital, I went back to the hospital because I just felt like my heart was constantly racing. And one of the things that I forgot is that after giving birth, we can have heart failure. So I, that's one of the things that the doctors told me and my head just went boom because another thing too is my husband had also gotten the COVID shot and he felt like his heart was constantly racing and he got scared too. So, you know, I had gotten my COVID shot after I had Madison. I didn't want to get it while I was pregnant with her, but you know, I'm having this stuff going on with my heart. My husband is having this stuff going on with his heart all at the same time. It was, it was very scary. Um... 
everything turned out to be okay with my heart though and then another three or four days after um being discharged from the hospital that second time i developed mastitis so it was just it was and all of this is happening and i think maddie isn't even like 10 days 14 days old fast forward to like i think it was july or august anna had gotten a really bad uti and she needed to be hospitalized because the treatment for it is an IV antibiotic. So I'm pumping in the hospital. Oh my God, the same thing happened at the height of the pandemic with Bryson. Oh my gosh. Maddie, no, I'm sorry. Anna was six months old when I'm noticing Bryson is complaining of like belly pains. And he's like literally on the floor, bent over. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. He had this thing called intersusception with your intestines are telescoping in and out of each other. And I'm just like, what is going on? He, it ended up resolving on its own, but come to find out while we we're at the hospital that he's like severely constipated. And luckily with Anna, I had a lot of milk at home. So I was just able to carry the milk um, back home with us when we were discharged. But I had two different hospital stays with Bryson all during, that, you know, all at the height of the pandemic. Literally, we had shut down March 13th. And I think that like March 18th, I was in the hospital with Bryson the first time. And then like March 21st or March 22nd, I was in the hospital with Bryson the second time. And then with Maddie, I'm in the hospital with Anna. I had already started establishing my milk supply. So that was fine. My husband didn't need to come to the hospital or anything like that. But maddie was only like two months old when i was in the hospital with anna so that was the scary thing and we're still in the middle of the pandemic so i'm scared like what if we contract something just being in a hospital and then we bring that stuff home and maddie's only you know two months old but other than that i think that well not other than that because that's a lot but I think that um, everything else besides that was okay. It was, again, that same anxiety, though, with, like, damn, now I have three kids. How am I going to manage with all three of them? And it's summertime. You know, I, they don't want to be locked up in the house. I got to find ways to kind of have them go out for walks or take them to the park, which I was able to do eventually. But those first, you know, couple of times that I was home by myself was when I realized, like, hey, it's okay. You're going to get through this. And I was really, really proud of myself because as anxious as I was, I remembered I felt the same anxiety when I had just had Anna and I managed fine. I was okay. And I lived through it. I'm going to live again. Like literally, that's how it's like, just feel your feels, but know that you're going to process this and you're going to be okay. I am impressed with your motherhood journey, um, just in the evolution of it, right? Um, a lot of first-time parents start off like you did with that first pregnancy. I was one of those parents, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you come in, it's like this expectation of, I read some stuff, I learned some things, right? But thinking that the birth community or the information that you would obtain would come from your providers and knowing that it's whatever pamphlets they gave you that week was, was the extension. Okay, because they give us all the pamphlets and all of the stuff. Like, who got time to sit and read all of this stuff? Like, just this is why I have the appointment. Tell me what I need to know. They don't have time for that. I'm sorry, go ahead. They don't have time for that. 
Uh, <laughs> but seeing who you became, you know, who, who you are now, right, is this culmination of learning, taking something from each experience, like, mm, I can do that better. Mm, I can do that better. Mm -hmm. I can add this, taking inventory of who you are in that moment and what your new skills are and how you apply it to, you know, this new child, this new child and who they are as individuals and how that works within your family that you've already created. Um, is there anything else that you want to say, anything else you want to share with our listeners, whether it be advice, any other additional information from the births or just resources as well? And that can be for birth or as this parenthood of multiples now. So one of the things that I have definitely been, as I've been sharing my journey through motherhood is I'm really learning to put myself first. And I know that it's that's not something that we commonly hear, like put yourself first or, you know, or most of the time, if you're anything like me, you were hearing stuff like it's not about you anymore. It's about the kids. The kids need this. You need to do this for the kids. And I can understand. I want to encourage all moms to put themselves first within reason, obviously. Right. But put yourself first be in tune as in tune as you are with who needs what make sure that you're also taking some of that time to be in tune with yourself because moms we are literally the backbones i know sometimes society doesn't see us that way society doesn't always treat us that way but it's important for us to be able to recognize because it also allows us to be able to give ourselves just a little bit more, um, and I don't want to necessarily say say time, but a little bit more um, energy to put into yourself. Just because you can, if the kids are asleep or while they're watching TV or they're playing games, can you sit down and can you just journal a little bit? You know, just to kind of really reflect on who are you now? Because you're not the same person you were before you had your first kid, before you had your two kids, your three kids. You're not that person anymore. And that's why I really love um, talking and, and helping women with their self-care journeys because that's one thing that really helped me learn who I was. And I think that that's also what better prepared me for my second and my third children because... I was able to be so in tune because I noticed that I wasn't before. I noticed that with Bryson, I was there was like a disconnect between us. And it was to a certain extent, like with Bryson, I learned that I was like, you know what? This is what we're going to do. So it was a very, I let it, you know, like I, instead of it being child-led, it was parent-led. And because it was parent-led, I wasn't really focused on him and what he what he needed um, when it was just me and him. And then when I had Anna, I was like, all right, I'm not going to do the same thing with Bryson. With Anna, it was very much child-led. But that could probably be the reason why Anna is the firecracker that she is now. I don't know. But it's like I also learned from them too that there has to be a balance, right? Obviously, I want to let my child guide me for what it is that they need and what I see are their interests and things like that. But I need to be the one that's always um, leading them within, you know, within reason as well. So that's one of the things that I feel like as if I've been able to do different with 
Maddie. Um, but when it comes to resources, I do have um, what's called the Mama Mentality Guide, where basically I walk you through creating your self-care practice. And I also help you create, um, not create, I also help you put yourself back into your calendar because it comes with a planner as well. So one of the things that I talk about in there are some of the myths, like you need so much time. In reality, you don't need that much time. Um, we just have to get very creative. So as creative as we are with meeting the needs of our children, we can also be creative with what needs we meet and how we meet those needs for ourselves. So um, the the link to that is the is co slash mama dash mentality, which I can also send to you as well. Um, because I just feel that we just need to do what we need to do. Um, and it's going to create for a lot more helpful and happier moms. Like we just need to be happy. And I feel like us getting to know who we are allows us to meet those needs, know what the needs are and be able to create a plan to meet the needs. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing, um, your stories, your resources, and if anyone feels led to go check those resources out, they will definitely be in our show notes on our website and everything. So thank you again so much, Vienna. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. We are celebrating Black Maternal Health Week. Black Maternal Health Week is a week of awareness, activism, and community building founded and led by Black Mamas Matter Alliance. Each year, the week of April 11th through 17th is full of events centering Black Mamas. This year's theme is Building for Liberation, centering Black Mamas, Black families, and Black systems of care. We will be hosting a live birth share with our own Laurel Gourier as she recounts her latest home birth with our community. We hope you can join us on your lunch break. There will be space for you to ask Laurel about her pregnancy, labor, and postpartum experiences. We'll cover everything from birthing in a new state, choosing a birth team, and how she navigated her birth preferences. Add us to your calendar for April 13th, 2022 at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. See you at lunch.